You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. With us tonight, we have no less than one of the world's foremost authors. His name is Chang Ray Lee. He's the author of Native Speaker, a Gesture Life, Aloft. His book, The Surrendered, was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, let's get straight to the, the good stuff. Thank you for joining me, Chang Lee. Uh, it's great to be here. Chang Lee, would you mind reading just the first page here of this chapter from your new book, sure. On Such a Full Sea? Well, I haven't read this in a while. Um, <laughs> Why in the life of a community does a certain happening or person become the stuff of lore? You would probably say a great accomplishment is the reason, such as when one of our Beemore children triumphed in an event for the first time ever in the biannual regional track meet in the 4,000-meter event, this against a field of intensely coached, super-primed charters. We will note the historical significance of the achievement, basking in the reflected glory, for naturally we would like to think how it is emblematic of the best qualities of our kind, even if we ourselves can hardly summon the effort to jog half a block in pursuit of a candy wrapper skittering, skittering away on a sudden gust of wind. It's our common character on display, which is why we invest so much of ourselves, often totally beyond reason, in particular figures and performers, both fictive and of flesh. And when that display is unsettling or notorious, we can collectively wring our hands and wail, and then try to assuage the disquiet in our hearts by more coolly interrogating its antecedents, the conditions and causes of its expression, and debate about how we might curb a future recurrence, none of the cynically posed but subtly servicing the final hopeful notion that this is we. Yeah. Now this is such an interesting book because it's set in a what appears to be a future America, but it has a lot of resemblance to current America. I'd like you to talk just about developing this world. Did this come completely out of your imagination or did it start firmly rooted in this world? Well, I mean, it started, it started firmly rooted in certain, I guess, anxieties I've been having. Um, and, and the, you know, you don't know sometimes you have anxieties until you see something, right? Um, I mean, obviously we have anxieties and, you know, you know, emotional issues or, you know, political kind of um, notions or, you know, whatever. But, um, but for the sake of writing a novel, I think, um, you know, I, I don't like to go at things directly most of the time. Uh, I don't know if some of you have read my books, but I, I sort of don't. Uh, but, but this time around, um, it was uh, instigated by a certain uh, vision. And the vision was um, seeing, uh, um, you know, a very forlorn neighborhood of Baltimore. And that this is a neighborhood that one sees on the train from New York to D.C., East, Bal East Baltimore. And it's a neighborhood that's, for the last 40, 50 years, been, you know, pretty much uh, wrecked. You know, it's one of those deeply troubled, long-troubled urban uh, 
neighborhoods uh, that that just just can't get on its feet. And of course, it has all these legacies behind it and why it's like that, right? Um, and you know, it's about segregation, uh, redlining, all those kinds of things. But this particular neighborhood was again, you know, and I've been seeing it all my adult life, um, you know, in this iteration that I saw, abandoned. Uh, row houses, you can imagine these small little row houses, but and they've been sort of cleaned up, but boarded up so that nobody was was going to live there. And, you know, it was clearly the intent of this neighborhood is off limits now for people. Uh, and I just thought that was so sad, you know, for all the reasons, you know, all these years, yet, you know, another sort of, um, you know, seeding to, of, of, you know, of any more efforts towards it. Um, and then I thought I had this crazy idea. I said to myself, uh, you know, why can't we just bring in just a load of people and have them take over this place and see what they would do with it, you know? And, and just in a very odd thought, I said, hmm, why not, you know, uh, a village from China that's been environmentally ruined? I'd been doing a lot of uh, research on China um, for a different book, a book about contemporary, uh, you know, it's set in contemporary China, but about Chinese factory workers. Um, so I had done a lot of research about, you know, just the kind of industrial uh, activities in China. And then, of course, if you look at industrial activities in China, you see a lot of pictures of pollution and read a lot of articles about, about environmental degradation. Um, so I thought, well, you know, one of these villages that I've been reading about that had to be completely abandoned because of, you know, poisoned, you know, water and, uh, and earth, why not just bring them over to Baltimore, uh, this, this section of Baltimore? Uh, I said, that's just a crazy idea, and of course no one would ever allow it. You know, the U.S. wouldn't allow it, Ch China wouldn't allow it, people probably wouldn't want to come. But, but then I thought, I thought, you know, in a very, very different time, maybe you know, those people might be welcomed, you know, and, but a very, very different future, a, different, a, f a future in which America really needed, or some version of America really needed these people to produce something. Um, so, so that's sort of what got me going on this book. And of course, in the book, they produce uh, fishes and vegetables for an elite class of people. Um, you know, the fishes and vegetables that are uh, supposedly, you know, free of any contaminants and, uh, um, and other things that are worrisome to those people. Yeah. You've created such an interesting world in this novel, and I wanted you to talk a little bit about uh, transposing these anxieties uh, of today and into a future, because one of the things, as I read this book, I kept thinking, this is so much like today. And I, I also kept thinking how we've seen so many visions of the future where everything's transformed and they're shining towers. You know, it's set, it's, when you look at, for instance, when you look at the, the movie, 1982 movie Blade Runner, it's just got this incredible science fiction landscape that looks really beautiful. It's set in 2014. I'm sorry. <laughs> 2014 looks a lot more like 1982 than Blade Runner. And I think that's one of the things that you've done very well is to create a future that looks a lot like the present but is also transformed culturally and especially economically. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the real transformation and the real world building that I wanted to do was not so much the technical stuff, um, you know, in terms of, the, say, the architecture or the, you know, the gadgets or that kind of, you know. Uh, that stuff is for futurists uh, who are interested in that, and I'm 
not really interested in that stuff. It's I, nor am I, you know, equipped to really think about that stuff. Um, what I do uh, in my business as a as a fiction writer, is, though, of course, is is think about human possibility, human expression. You know the, you know the the odd ends of of human moments and. And normally we think of those things, you know, when you're writing in a quote-unquote realistic mode, you, you just, you know, you set people in a room and they're a husband and wife or something like that and they're, they're talking about issues. And you're trying to, of course, get some fresh angle onto the usual story, say, of marital strife. Um, but in this story, um, you know, the freshness isn't just that it's, it's set in a slightly different world, but you're, when you change the circumstance a little bit, you know, to say the circumstance is a very cloistered community in which everyone is uh, very similar, and they have a function, say, in the in the facility where uh, where my hero lives. Um, then you look at the ecology of the place in a different way, right? And how how that all that cloistering, uh, how the sameness, how the um, how the regimentation of that life would then affect all these people. Um, and I think, you know, we, we, of course, are affected by our, our little microcultures, too. Um, we, we probably just don't see all the ways in which we're, we're influenced. We always think we're individuals and we have our own destiny. And, uh, but, of course, we're probably a lot more similar than we'd like to think. Uh, we'd probably think about the same things um, and, and wear the same kind of clothing and eat the same kinds of foods and da-da-da-da-da. Um, but, of course, for the purposes of fiction, I take it to a little bit of an extreme, uh, and so I so in each of these um, realms, and there are three basic realms in this book: um, the realm where the the descendants of these laborers who'd come over from China uh, live and work, um, which is highly regimented, and the the kind of exalted place that I mentioned for pretty much the super rich, and then everybody else who lives in a pretty you know an unregulated landscape. Uh, and are left to their own devices. But in each, so those places are very different, but in each of those is sort of a little laboratory, right, of, of, of um, you know, that, that pressures and deforms people in a particular way. And, and also, you know, uh, in probably in some somewhat positive ways too. It's not all negative, but, but, but that's what I was interested in, in. And then I think once you start thinking about those deformations, then you then I think it also it's sort of a feedback you, you think then well what other kinds of things might might in the environment in the structure of that place uh, what other interesting things um, might I you know tease out of that um, and of course those things are based upon what I'm interested in my going back to my anxieties you know we have with us here Karen Joy Fowler who long ago and memorably said to me that a world where uh, the actor who played the Terminator can become the governor of California. <laughs> Mimetic fiction that is just about reality is inadequate to describe such a world. And I think that's one of the virtues of the kind of world that you've built here, where you can use these uh, societies and, and these levels and these places to externalize um, the things that we don't want to talk about. The, the, the economic separations 
and the economic realities of this of our world that are somewhat hidden and we don't like to talk about America. We don't like to talk about class in America. We don't we're only now just starting to talk about economic inequality. And those kind of things you can just put right out in the open and they're plot points in this book. Right. Right. You know, and whereas in another book you might it might be um and maybe that's the fun and fun thing about a book like this that's that's speculative is that um it, you can come at it a little bit more directly, but still, you know, house it in something that seems like something else. Um, and so that when I describe, you know, the little practices that go on in this, you know, exalted charter village, um, we're just kind of, you know, I, I hope the reader is just sort of, you know, curious and fascinated by all the little details. But as they accrue, as they begin to add up, and as they begin to express themselves in people's actions and, you know, behaviors, um, then I hope right, you get back to the real question, which is, what are these people like? What do they hold dear? You know, what do they keep faith in? And you know, what, do they, what do they crave? You know, that's sort of the basic question of, I think, all storytelling, is what do these people crave uh, when you come right down to it? Uh, the story is a big part of this book. I mean, in fact, one of the most interesting aspects of this book is the storyteller who is we. So that's a big decision for you to make as a writer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, the, the, the voice, is, the point of view is first person plural. Um, the, this we who is unspecified. You know, some people think it's one person or a couple people or um, but sort of how, you know, masquerading as this we, but I, I'm, I try not to think of, um, I really try to, 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 to honor the plurality of it. <laughs> um, and what I liked about it, although it was sort of frightening at the start, when you, when you start writing a novel like this, you think, you know, where is this going to lead me? You know, um, uh, who is this we? Um, and, and I think part of the novel, the writing of the novel for me was trying to find that out. You know, is it, uh, is the we more like a, a chorus, you know, a classical Greek chorus where they, they have a fixed position and they're, they have a, a fixed point of view on events, whether omniscient, um, they sort of have a fixed morality. Or are they, you know, a little bit more involved than they maybe want to be in, in what they're saying and describing? Um, or even, you know, on another, uh, to, to another level, are they even uh, hopeful and maybe begin to invent things uh, for the sake of, of the story and for their, own, for their own kind of emotional and philosophical well-being? Uh, so these were all these little questions that you don't quite anticipate when you start writing the we, you know, sentence one. You think, well, it's just, in, this is, you know, I think my original conception was that this is also a story besides a kind of adventure tale about this girl who goes out into the, the wilds of this, this world, that it was also a, a novel about community. But then, you know, I, I suppose that I didn't really understand that deeply enough, you know, and, but I think that's good. I think, you know, I think that's partly why I started using the we as I was curious about it. I was curious about this community voice and how it might, you know, again, observe, but how all those observations would reflect back on, on them, but also, again, reform them. You know, one of the things that's really fun about reading this book is as we're reading it and we're reading the story of Fan, she's your heroine who is a 
diver with these great qualities of being able to hold her breath and strikes out into the world. Um, one of the things that's so much fun about reading this is this kind of direct indirectness in that your we describes a world that are intimately familiar with and kind of sketchily because they assume that we who are listening are familiar with that world. We who are reading this book are completely unfamiliar with that world. So it creates this kind of interesting uh, dissonance for us as we experience the world from somebody telling us uh, something with which they're familiar, very familiar, with which we are entirely unfamiliar. So we kind of read by inference, and it's fun to read in between the lines. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, what happens when you use the we is you also immediately um, uh, involve the reader in, in that we. Um, but of course, the we is, but that's not by the reader's choice, of course. <laughs> you know, you're just kind of taken up, just, you know, structurally into the we. Um, which is which is something I, I also liked about it. You know, it it it's almost a second person address too. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, so it's both first person address, second person address. They seem to have some omniscience, so sometimes it, it feels like third person address. Um, you know, basically, I tried to do everything. <laughs> you know, I tried to use the whole range of perspectives on what Fan was doing out there. The, but mostly what I don't do is I don't give fans perspective. Uh, I don't really give her a sense of things. Sometimes you know, she'll say a few things. She's, she's quite you know, soft-spoken and she doesn't really say much when she does. Um, and I, 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 I very much like the idea of writing a whole story in which the main character, and she's the central figure, uh, was not the central consciousness. And that for me was a very interesting idea, and, and one that, um, as I got into it, again, was quite scary thinking about it, because really, if you think about all my other books, that's all they are, is about consciousness of these characters. You know, they're, they're like really all the psychological you know, detail, of, of, you know, the, uh, blow by blow by blow, you know, present, past, future of, of these people in, in, in thrall of some uh, joy or crisis. Um, but with Fan, I wanted her to just kind of be out there, you know, as, as you know, sort of on the screen for us. Um, that we, she would be appealing, but, but I hoped appeal to us in a different way than we're normally used to. I think, I think we're so used to having just, you know, a full-on maximal psychological presentation of all. And that's what's so, sort of automatic. That's how we know character. And that's often how I speak to my students about it. But... But of course, you know, you, you never follow your own advice. You, <laughs> you do other things. And, and I just thought aesthetically it was kind of interesting, uh, you know, and, 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 and difficult in a way, you know, just to even think about. So that, you know, and I always, write, I always end up doing things that I'm curious about, either formally or, or um, even in, you know, in subject matter or formally. I'm, that's what always keeps me going. I think that's what allows me to, you know, finish long stories. Otherwise, they're so easy to drop. Well, I think that sense of adventure happens on, you know, two levels just in terms of what happens to the character because this is ultimately kind of a road novel. 
but also there's this adventure of exploring the world. And this is something I wanted to ask you. When you started out this novel, how much of the world did you have pretty much nailed down? Did you have like a Bible? Okay, there's this and this and this. Or did you like invent it out of whole cloth as you went? No, I, I had no manual for myself. You know, I, <laughs> you know the, first, um, the first chapter ends with Fan leaving, you know, um, the place, uh, her, her facility. And when she goes outside the walls, I knew something would happen to her, but I had no idea what, and I had no idea who, and I had no idea where those people might, you know, would have come from. But so I really took it step by step by step as if I were on that journey myself, you know, say in a car without any GPS, um, but also without any real... Um, you know, really any plan whatsoever, but just to try to say this, there's a landscape ahead of me. I don't even know how wide it is, um, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna kind of let it go. Um, I did have an idea about the kinds of things that she might encounter. Um, and it wasn't just gonna be, you know, pure action. I mean, there, there's, it, it is pure action in one level, but on another level, I wanted her to meet particular people who had who had come from particular situations themselves. Um, you know, and the first person she meets is uh, someone who used to be a charter, but isn't anymore. And I thought that would be an interesting encounter, or someone who had fallen from his station. You know, this other, this other, you know, cloister community. Um, you know, so much about a road novel is, um, you know. Any departure too, you know, is is interesting to me because it's not just the adventure that you follow, but I think necessarily the adventure. Once someone goes out, and if they choose to leave a place, it's also an examination of that place, right? Um, she's she's deciding that that's well, we're not sure what she's deciding, but she the, the fact that she leaves makes the we think. Well, there must be something about us too that <laughs> that she's she's willing to to leave behind. You know, I, I really love the economic aspect of this book, and I it's this I have a a pet theory that we're in the midst of the creation of a whole new genre of literature, which somewhere down in fans' future will be regarded as economic fiction, mm -hmm. in the same way that science fiction has can concerned with science and romance, concerned with romance. There's economic fiction where the drivers at the heart of the novel are economic. And I loved the, your vision of our current lack of economic mobility to move between places as reflected in the way you created this society. So I'd like you to talk about how you played with those, so you set up your mirrors to reflect us. Yeah, well, in these three realms that I talk about, um, you know, it's in fact dangerous to try to move between them. <laughs> um, if you've fallen from the charters as this first person quig that she encounters, um, you know, it, living in the, in a place like that, there these the uh, I'm reminded of what I think it was Whitman, the uh, demented by the mania of owning things, um, <laughs> uh, and and that's. That's sort of the charter of people, you know, they're, they're just constantly on this treadmill of having to, their life is so dear and expensive that, and wonderful in, in the trappings, but they constantly have to, you know, just run at it and keep making more money. And, and 
It's just, uh, you know, they are just as beset as anyone else, in a, in a way. But, but, but I saw this world as, um, you know, and, and the, that the middle class world, um, and fans world is the kind of middle class world, but it's a, uh, it's a really, um, you know, con constricted middle class. Uh, it's, it's only based upon their function as laborers. Um, and it, and one, of the, one of the things that got me and that I was definitely thinking about, and we're seeing this in the news all the time, especially with the minimum wage business, right? We're always talking about, we're, there's more talk now about raising the minimum wage because we realize the minimum wage is too minimum. You know, that, that you need food drives for people who work on minimum wage. Um, and, and I just, you know, all these sorts of things that, that, you know, again, I'm not against wealth, but I'm against entrenchment. Right, uh, that that someone could work their entire lives, um, and and have the best intentions, but only get paid enough so that they're barely surviving, and ba you know basically servicing the rest of us, and it doesn't seem to me you know so I've I've had all these issues anxieties about what are what we want for our civil society, and I'm not an econ you know an economist I'm not a politician you know I'm a fiction writer, um, but obviously these things started to to arise. Um, and so that's part of what, you know, goes into my, my vision for Be More and also for the open counties where people are just left to their own devices. You know, it seems like, you know, certain quarters of our society want government to pull back completely, you know, just let the market determine everything. Um, and I guess that's one of the, uh, you know, kind of the extrapolations that I've made about this place is, yeah, the market, you know, they're just left to their own devices. Most of the people, if they're not, if not servicing the, the rich, um, then they're sort of useless, um, and they should be off on their own. Um, but, you know, the, the folks in the counties are actually, the, because they have almost nothing, um, I think Fan discovers that they um, seem to have the most, um, even though it's dangerous out there, they seem to have the most substantive human relationships because that's all they have. You know, they don't have stuff. They just have each other. Uh, they are struggling, though, so they do have to make some difficult, difficult choices. You know, the, the prose in this is really beautiful, and there's so many great uh, lines in here, and one of my favorites was this way because it, just made me think so much about us is how did this ecology come to be is it the one we wish to endure yeah yeah you know and I think that's what happens we you know we grow up with something and we assume this is how it's isn't is this is how it's supposed to be but but once you be you know I think the people of Beemore once fan leaves they they start to say wait a minute you know it's not just is this meant to be this way but why should we have been programmed to endure, to endure this and accept this so readily? Um, you know, they're not radical people in Beemore. You know, she, she, her leaving causes some, some fractures. They're quietly rebellious. Um, and they're trying their best to, to try to break out of, you know, all the assumptions they've made for themselves. You know, th these are people, and not just in Beemore, but in the other parts where... I think they they can see the the other the 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 end arc of their destiny, and isn't that you know the scariest thing if you can already see where you're going to end up, uh, whether you're rich or poor or not, uh, and I think that's partly what I was trying to work with there. Uh, it's not just the 
the physical or social circumstances, but also the ones of imagination. You know, it, and I think that's the people. The people. I think that's what captures the people of Beemore in terms of what Fan's doing. She's sort of breaking out of that destiny that that um, uh, of just a thought, uh, and and I think that that excites them. Yeah, nobody wants to know that be told that the happiest day of their life was in the past. Right, right, <laughs> right. And we and we want to know that 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 things. You know, we assume that things are dynamic or are going to be. Yeah, we want, we want, and that's one of the things that's interesting about this book is the part that the imagination of the characters and the people within these societies plays that you, in the course of reading it, we start to, to grow in imagination, which I think is an interesting character development. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, they're starting to break free of, of, uh, of the, just the, their rote, their rote, um, sense of themselves uh, not just their routines but again you know what they think and and th there's a line about the freedom of imagination the freedom to you know um to break out of um you know these invisible you know strictures that that they put on themselves um and, you know and there's no in the book usually people have asked me you know when they're you know, not not many people have read the book yet but um They've asked me, is there like this over, overarching body that's controlling everything? And, and there is something referred to as the directorate, but it's sort of mysterious and they don't really show up or do anything. Um, you know, all these people are, are seem to be at the behest of what they believe is some higher power, but really is just their own device. Um, and, and that's something that also I was kind of thinking about, right? I mean... Um, isn't that what happens, at least in my view, you know, to most of us? Yeah, uh, yeah I like the uh, vision of a kind of life as chaos, and, and I think that's uh, part of the appeal of the road novel is that you go here and then this happens, you go there and this happens to you. Now, I have to ask, there are a couple of wonderful set pieces in this book, and, and there's one in particular that has both an action aspect and an emotion aspect. And I thought that was really well conceived. So I'd like you to talk about that. It has to do with Quig. And, and just um, when you were crafting this, did you um, wring the emotions out first or get the action out first? Um, uh, well, this is an episode in which the, that veterinarian, uh, that that the person she meets, uh, he's a, he used to be a veterinarian in, in the Charter Village, and so he's, he ends up being a doctor in the open counties because he has you know, some, some expertise in, in helping people. Um, but it's a, you're talking about his whole backstory, basically. Yeah, yes. well, his, there's one particular scene in a house where he goes to where he thinks he might get to stay in an inn, Right, right, right. And right. I thought that was just, that just knocked me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is in his backstory of after he's been cast out of, the, of, his, of his charter station. Um, he and his wife and daughter, you know, end up, uh, they don't know what they're doing. They're also thrown out on the road, right? And they, they don't have much in way of resources. They just have a car and they end up in this this sort of inn, this nice inn. I'm, I'm staying at the Dream Inn. It's sort of like that. Uh, it's a nice, it's actually a nice place in the counties. It's, you know, it's uh, owned by this sort of persnickety pair uh, of fellows. Um, 
life partners who you know want to make a nice place and serve nice food and they're they're very kind but but of course um you know there's you know it's precarious right uh life is very uh very precarious out there and and i don't want to get into what happens but but um but it 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 completely changes him you know it it sets him on a different path and it wipes clean his entire past and now he's he's a a county's person um with uh, with county scars uh which will inform what he does later in the novel and, and i for one last question i wanted to talk to you about crafting fan from the outside because what's nice is that uh for a pretty good portion of the novel we are just kind of with her but then at some point we really feel this heroine aspect of her see that and that was so much fun to experience as a reader did you experience that as a writer did you plan for that or did that just happen as you were kind of as we was were was telling the story to you well I think it just sort of happened you know it just sort of builds up Mm -hmm. um and and by the end, you know, it's funny, you, you don't, sometimes you, I think you can come across people and if you spend enough time with them, even if you don't have, you know, say heart to hearts all the time, um, you can have this real, I don't know, sort of gleam when you see them, um, just because of what they do or, um, you know, how they hold themselves or how they talk to other people. As you say, I like what you say, is building her from the outside. Um, and sometimes, I, you know, I, I, I think that's sort of how I see it. She's one of those kinds of people for me, you know, where um, we didn't have a heart-to-heart, right? But, but I just saw her out in the world doing her best, trying her best. And, and that, there's some poignancy to that for me. And so I, I, I think after all her, her trials, um, you know, yeah, I, I you know, I, I didn't... I, I guess I didn't know her that well at the start. And again, I don't know her that much better at the end, but I think I know myself and my feelings about her better, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes any sense. That's really interesting. <laughs> that's fascinating, because that's a kind of the way, you know, the reader's journey, too. It's yeah, the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and also uh, the way we relate to the world. Now, do we have any questions from the audience? It doesn't have to be about this book. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really, you know, I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan of speculative, but, you know, like, it, like most people, when I was younger, I read 1984 and Animal Farm and Brave New World, and uh, I, I enjoyed Ray Bradbury uh, stories. Um, but, you know, I always focused, again, on, you know, I wasn't, um, again, you know, geeky in terms of the tech, technical stuff. I, I didn't really care, but when it... When they, you know, Aldous Huxley sometimes gets into that stuff, and I was like, you know, I don't really want to get into that stuff with you. Uh, I, I, uh, I was always, you know, I was always focused on, you know, what these people were like. And and one of the one of the story that I really liked was uh, Ray Bradbury's story. That oh, what's the name of it? Um, 
but it's a story. It's a very. It's a great story. It's a story about these astronauts who are uh, out in space and they're 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 just floating and they know they're never going to come back. Yeah, you know that story. What's that? What's the name of that story? What's the name of that story? Uh, good question. Um, so, so yeah, it's set in this other place, right? And when he was writing, it's sort of really cool. It's astronauts, right? But but really, it's just their last thoughts, and it's all this range of thoughts and their conversation, and um, it's it's deeply poignant stuff. Not just because they're gonna die. It's because of all the little things that Bradbury teases out about what's important to them, right? And, and, and we get a little bit of their character, even though we don't know that much about them. It's a very short story. Um, so I did like that, and I think those kinds of things did inform my writing of this. Um, you know, because that's what we do. We, we, we find a different circumstance. Um, at the same time, I, I, I like to say that I think I've been writing dystopian fictions all along when I write about immigrants. Yeah. <laughs> if you think of the immigrant, uh, this kid or person who doesn't feel quite belonging to the culture that he finds himself in or she finds herself in, you know, she, different customs, different language, different assumptions, different, and, and, and most of all, not recognized in the way that they think they should be recognized or want to be recognized. Um, so I've always had that kind of perspective, I think. Well, it's actually true that we are currently living in a very bad science fiction novel. <laughs> it's, a, it's a dull dystopian novel where the world has not ended yet. Where are our mutants and our giant, you know, Mad Max-style motorcycle uh, machines know, to patrol over the street? <laughs> we have another question over there. Well, um, you know, the the your first the first part of your question, um, I'm definitely playing with you know the fact that the these folks who who work in in are of Chinese descent um, uh, is not an accident, right? I mean, they could have been from anywhere, but they're from China. Um, so yeah, I I was I, originally I was I was thinking about Chinese ascendancy, you know. And then the flip side of that, which is kind of American stagnation or decline, um, but also thinking about um, you know 
certain tropes and ideas about community, and particularly Asian community, um, and you know, playing with and against all those kinds of things. And so I, I did, you know, that's, so that's definitely, was definitely part of my interest in this, in this book. You know, embedded in all this somewhere is a quote-unquote Asian-American novel. <laughs> you know, it's a quote-unquote, uh, you know, a, uh, an examination of that novel and of those tropes. Um, but I don't want to get into that. It's too technical. But, um, but the, the other part about the ethical decision, or um, if I'm to understand you correctly, uh, are, you, are you saying that I'd say in a gesture life, I didn't use the first person um, from the comfort, quote unquote, comfort women point of view um, because I felt th that it would be uh, some kind of transgression to do so? I'm not, I, I guess I, I, I don't quite understand you. Yeah, no, it's not it's not easy, but for lots of different reasons, for the reasons you just mentioned, but also, um, you know, uh, just writerly ones too. Um, but really, my choice in that book was was because I had not I had heard that point of view and underst and understood it. I think in a way that I was less curious about than the other side. The perpetrator's point of view, which which was a point of view I had not heard, and that was equally important to me. Do we have any other questions? No one. Well, thank you for joining us, Chang Ray thank Lee. You. Now I think it's time for our raffle. <laughs> are, is that are we? Where that's our timeline here. Thanks. By the way, that that yeah, I guess there were only a, a couple hundred made, so they're all sold out now. So you can't get it anymore. Uh, so it's. Uh, Except on Bookfinder. On Bookfinder, yeah. yeah I'm sure someone's selling it, reselling yeah, yeah, it. If you're so. a, Who got it? Three, four, eight, four, three, zero. Do we have a winner? Ah. Congratulations, we have a winner. <laughs> That's rocking. Don't open that plastic. <laughs> He's right. He's right. I'm a book geek. I know this to be true. Well, thank you very much for coming.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.